a lot of people have been sending me articles from Patrick Bet David. I like him a lot. I respect him. He he's definitely got a different background than me, but we kind of get the same conclusions. You know, so he has this this take where he he thinks it's going to be doom and gloom. I I think it'll be more prolongated. I I think that we're going to go through pain. I think these things will eventually happen, but I don't think it's going to be like this this huge bell curve and then back down to normal. I think it's going to be a slow burn over time. And I don't know that you get through all of it in 2023. No, no, no. I mean, the the Fed themselves, their their projections, all their charts are showing uh, projections out to 2025. So yeah, I saw that. The they're they're projecting they're projecting to get to that two percent mark by 2025. So it's going to be a, a long drawn out process unless something gives that is unforeseen and no one no one's been able to predict. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am one of two co-hosts. This is the Sasha Baron Cohen of real estate, a.k.a. the Jeff Goldblum of podcasting. Chris, and sitting next to me is, is a very white of podcasting. No, the Fred Flintstone to my Barney Rubble. The man with the power dumper. No, with the sultry. The good, good. Hello, everybody. Saeed. One and only Mr. Uchi Wally Wally. Uchi Bang Bang. So I want to apologize in advance to everybody for the last episode. Saeed and I were uh, dealing with some stuff. Yes, we were. So I liked the episode. I thought we were a little low on energy. So to make that up to you, we're going to be extra sultry. And by we, I mean Sa- Saeed. Yeah, exactly. On this episode. Yes, we will. And if you do find us extra sultry, go ahead, go ahead and, uh, you know, leave an honest five-star review. Yeah, and tell your friends about it. We'll wait. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you done yet? Is that Jeopardy? Yeah. Ding, ding, <laughs> we should, ding, yeah. ding. Yeah, we're, we're too cheap for sound effects. Yes. <laughs> Okay, we got a lot to get into this week, so we will just dispel with all the shenanigans, cheeky as they may be. One of the things that came up, and you had to see it in the news, America's national debt has now surpassed $31 trillion. Mm. This from CNN Business. Of course, as always, it'll be in the resources. It'll be sent out as our newsletter. But American national debt has climbed north of $31 trillion for the first time, a milestone that comes at a time of historically high inflation, shocker, rising interest rates, and growing economic uncertainty. And Saeed is foaming at the mouth, licking his chops over there because he's got something on this. Give it to me. What is it? So I read this article that you sent over, right? Mm-hmm. So for reference, of that $31 trillion, $8 trillion of it was put on since the beginning of 2020. Thank you. That's 25% of the nation's debt. 
Yeah, I would I would say thank you to the Inflation Reduction Act for a good chunk of that yeah, shit. Yeah, exactly. For reference, if these numbers are just numbers to you, it was ten point six trillion when Uncle Obama took office. Unk. Unk. Nineteen point nine trillion when Uncle Donnie took office. Mm-hmm. Right? But someone was quoted in the article saying, one of the benefits of being the world's reserve currency is everyone wants to buy your debt for cheap. I was like, oh, I like, I like that quote. You know, who, who said this? Alex Pell. He's a U.S. economist for Mizuhu Securities. I was like, hmm, Mizuhu. Yeah. You know who this is? Yeah, I went down a rabbit hole. I you figured, did, yeah, yeah, I did. I was like, Mizuhu Securities? Who's that? Like, why, why are they being quoted in a CNN article? So I looked it up. Mizuhu Securities, right? It's the Japanese investment banking and securities firm. Mizuhu means abundant of rice. You look like you had a lot of Mizuhu, my friend. You went all the way in the rabbit hole for that shit? For that, that shit. That's, that's what you were so happy about? <laughs> that's what I was so happy about. Mr. Mizuhu of podcasting. We need a gong for this show. <laughs> like, that's, that's so bad. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and move on like that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. All right? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, power dumper is an expression that hockey players use for their rear end when it's really muscular and big. Uh, muscular. And big. Yeah. Because there's so much muscle. Yeah, okay. All right. However, as interest rates rise and the U.S. Treasury securities also rise, so too will the Fed government's borrowing costs. I'm trying to explain why the interest rate increases, uh, as we talked about a long, long time ago in an episode since then. Said is typically references at least you know once every other episode or so. Mm-hmm. Why this phenomenon happens? The United States was able to borrow cheaply to respond to the pandemic because interest rates were historically low, just like you, the consumer, on your house. However, as the Federal Reserve increases the Fed funds borrowing rate, short-term rates on treasuries will eventually rise. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this as it impacts the two-year and the 10-year, the 10-year being the most impactful for mortgage rates. Your 30-year conforming typically follows the treasuries. And we've always talked about how this inversion needs to come out of it, and the 10-year will eventually rise. And we always predicted that at the end of the year, we'd see close to 7% interest rates. As a matter of fact, we're there right now. Making some of the federal borrowing more expensive. Expectations about short-term rates and inflation have already pushed up long-term rates as well. Ironically, we still haven't pushed those long-term rates far enough to get out of the yield curve inversion where the two-year is still higher than the 10-year. We've been inverted for a very long time. All this to say that inflation by the Fed is not just impactful to you and to me on short-term borrowings like credit cards or you know index plus margin pricing loans, home equity lines of credit, for example. Right. It's not only impactful for our, our mortgages, it's impactful for the government. And now here we are mm-hmm. with a $31 trillion national debt. And back when we were talking about why the Inflation Reduction Act was such a terrible idea, why printing money was not a good idea, this was a huge fear of all those things happening. Is Now their cost of borrowing, the government's cost of borrowing has gone up. Right. We've printed more money. Inflation is sky high. And now the national debt is at a level that's untenable. But why stop there? Mm-hmm. I think uh, the Saudis are a little, uh, a little unhappy with Unk. <laughs> with Unk? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're not <laughs> Uncle, s- Uncle Biden? Uncle Biden is, uh, is not getting a lot of love. So I don't know if you saw that OPEC... Uh, I'm not sure I can put that in the show notes. No, you uh, didn't. didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. OPEC Gas has, price is about to go surging. Yeah, they're going to cut 2 million barrels. And nobody really has a good answer for this, mm-hmm. other than the fact that there's clearly some politics. They didn't get what they wanted or something like that. So now, now they're going to cut 2 million barrels. And this is at a price where you already had a little bit of creep up in, in oil. And for those who don't recall, core inflation, which the Fed looks out, carves out energy and carves out food. But CPI, inflation that we report, 
includes energy and food. And oil was the main driver. That's largely believed to be the largest component that came down when inflation came down a little bit. Right, when they were starting to feel like we had reached the peak and now it's starting to come back down. Mm -hmm. So we're headed in the right direction. But now we're seeing that it's actually, in fact, as of this month, going back up. And I, I don't see how, I mean, it was already creeping back up before this announcement. Mm -hmm. But now with oil prices probably going back up and continuing to go up, especially with, with OPEC doing this, I can almost damn near guarantee inflation is here to stay for a long time. It doesn't matter how much they raise interest yeah, rates. Yeah, uh, we, talked, we talked about it on the last episode where we're, we're now, a lot of people are uncertain whether this is peaked or not. Right, where we've seen the peak. It is not peaked. It has not peaked. Without question, Gross, unequivocally, is not peaked. Groceries were up uh, 13%. And I don't know if you saw, but the uh, Fed Reserve Bank of Atlanta president, Rafael Bostic. That was today, right? That was uh, today or yesterday. Yeah. He said that he was he uh, was on board with lifting the you know Fed funds interest rate to 4 to 4.5% by the end of the year, but that would like to take a long pause after after yeah. that and just let it sink in and let's see what that does. See, look, I don't, I don't have a problem with that in that it, it's, it's not going to really do anything besides add on another quarter or so of, of pain mm -hmm. if it doesn't move. And if it does move, then you can say, okay, our, our policy is working and things are going to take time. Mm -hmm. Either way, this is going to take time. Either way, it's going to take time. Yeah. Either way, you're going to, you're going to be sucking this, this situation for a prolonged, prolonged period of time, longer than people thought. And all these conversations about, oh, has inflation peaked and all that. These were so premature. We should not have been doing it. And yet here we are in situations where the economy is clearly palpably different. So uh, to give you an idea, we talk a lot about how this impacts things like single family residences. We talk about how there's a rent equivalent portion of, of inflation and that in order for home prices to go down, which you know effectively impacts the rent equivalent, right. these things all kind of have to happen in order to get the CPI down. We don't talk a whole lot about the multifamily space and that happens to be what we, you know, yep. we, we do. Right. This is a quote from RealPage. U.S. apartment demand plunges in the third quarter as new leasing stalls more than expected. Right. Now, I don't think this is as bad as it sounds. It sounds really ominous. And there's a chart that, that's in the article if you want to take a look at it. But effectively, what it says is asking rents for apartments, which have been growing at a much slower pace in 2022 compared to 2021, where they really kind of bumped up a lot, especially in areas like Miami, L.A., they fell month over month, negative 0.2%, not a lot, in September for the first time since December 2020. That marks returns to normal seasonal pricing as rents typically dip mildly every September, but notably did not in 2021 when we were on this kind of skyrocketing right. price. I saw an interview actually with uh, from Jay Parsons from RealPage. Oh, did you really? Um, yeah, and he was talking He was talking about this. And, Look at you and this, keeping secrets from me. And yeah, in this, in this article um, specifically. And he says that, you know, what we're seeing is wages are still up and rent collections are up year over year, actually. So, so to explain rent collections. Yes. You want to you do that? Go ahead. No, go ahead. So what we're actually collecting as landlords, for example, and, and what you take in. It, so you can actually effectively have rent go down if, let's say, you had vacancies creep up or things like that. But they're talking about actual money taken in net uh, of you know any vacancies and things of that nature so. right yeah so like people people's actual rent obligations and how much are their what they're supposed to be paying and how much they're actually the landlord's actually collecting yes. mm -hmm. right um so what what they're assuming is actually happening is right now everyone's in a wait and see type of market i think that's what they were using in the article or in the um in the interview and what you're gonna see a lot more of people are starting to you know, double up on housing together, more roommates. A couple of weeks ago, maybe even a couple of months ago, we were talking about 
young millennials living with their parents. You know, <laughs> yeah. Here we are getting studios built and shit, and blowing, <laughs> yeah. money, blowing money like we yeah. don't care, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah living like it's uh, 2019. Please sponsor our show. We're yeah. homeless. Yeah. We need help. Yeah. Our wives aren't happy. <laughs> My wife's happy. We wrapped her car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. For those of you who haven't wrapped a car before, this is the first time I actually wrapped one, even though I've been familiar with it, where you basically take this vinyl and you change the color of your car. We tinted the windows and all that stuff. It's the arrogance creeping in again. It's not arrogance, man. I'm just saying it, it's fascinating because it's like, it's like getting a new car, but you didn't get a new car. Oh, yeah. It yeah. looks great. Yeah, it, it looks, looks great, great. Well, I, you know... I don't want to depart too much from from kind of the trajectory of the show, but where do you see this going? I mean, if something has to something has to give at some point, right? You have homeowners who don't want to sell, mm-hmm. right? You got people who want to rent, but they're struggling to find places to rent, and there's a lot of competition, and rent seems to be stabling off, and the rental market seems to be kind of leveling out a little bit. But I was talking to my brother today, and, and he works for a, a pretty large lender. He quoted somebody over 7% today on a primary. Wow. And they took it because it made sense for their economic situation. But the mortgage business is down. I mean, I'm, I'm, we'll get to some of those numbers a little bit later on. But I don't, something has to give. Something has to give, right? And I, I think if anything, this time period will showcase truly how much of a lagging indicator these things are. Because I feel like everyone's going to start pulling out. Pause. Everyone's going to start pulling out, holding out to see what happens. Right. And until we start seeing that unemployment numbers start kicking up and we start seeing defaults, like you had mentioned, mm. then I really think that's when things are going to start picking up. And how what if they don't, though? What if, what if the rhetoric that, that people are hearing from the optimists on social media, on television, on places like that? What if that's true? What, what, what if, if the optimism that the Fed's going to pivot? No, that the Fed, let's say the, let's say the Fed doesn't pivot. Let's say the Fed just decides we're going to hold and watch the data. Nothing wrong with that. Respectable decision. I think I think that that's probably going to need to happen. Okay, so they do that. And then you have home sellers who otherwise would sell, who don't want to sell in this market because they feel like their property is going to sell under value, not enough competition. Plus, they have a super low rate and they can kind of afford to hang on. They can either rent it out or right. whatever they're doing, right? There's not a need to sell and people are kind of in this weird phase. Unemployment will eventually creep up, right? We know that. So unemployment creeps up and people hold. So with the... With the Great Recession, a lot of adjustable mortgages came due. Right. People had three, five, seven, ten year hybrids, they had interest only product, they had that all those was things the cause that were of the crash. negative AM loans. I wouldn't say it was solely the cause of the crash, but it certainly was the driver for so many properties coming online and so many people trying to do something about the current economic situation. We're not gonna have that per se directly like this. It'll be a I think it'll be a more prolongated impact. But I, so I don't typically do this, but a lot of people have been sending me articles from Patrick Fed David. Okay. And um, I, I, like, I like him a lot. I respect him. He, he's definitely got a different background than me, but we kind of get the same conclusions. He's a lot more doom and gloom in some ways. He also doesn't like Dave Ramsey. So shout out to Patrick uh, yeah, yeah, David yeah. for, he, you know, he's, he's our best friend. Yeah. Being logical, smart. Yeah. Good looking. He's Middle Eastern. Yeah. Iranian, actually. <laughs> yeah. Not that I would know. 44% of you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so he has this, this take where he, he thinks it's going to be doom and gloom. I, I think it'll be more prolongated. I, I think that we're going to go through pain. Mm-hmm. I think these things will eventually happen, but I don't think it's going to be like this, this huge bell curve and then back down to normal. I think it's going to be a slow burn over time. And I don't know that you get through all of it in 2023. No, no, no. I mean, the, the Fed themselves, their, their projections, all their charts are showing uh, projections out to 2025. 
So yeah, I saw that the they're they're projecting they're projecting to get to that two percent mark by twenty twenty five. So it's going to be a, a long drawn out process unless something gives that is unforeseen and no one no one's been able to predict. Well, let's get back on target and go back to the show notes. Despite what you may or may not think as a listener to the show, we actually have a little bit of structure we plan to you know speak on, but we typically get sidetracked with just being generally me arrogant and Saeed sultry. So yeah, yeah. back on track yeah. from Business Week. <laughs> Jesus, did you just Barry White me again? Yeah. Uh, U.S. home prices are now posting their biggest monthly drops since 2009. Mm. And I pulled some interesting quotes here that I think are uh, valuable. Medium home prices fell 0.98%, almost one full percent in August from a month earlier, following a 1.05% drop in July. So when you combine the two, it's definitely 2% Mm -hmm. between uh, July and August. Mortgage data provider Black Knight said in a report. The housing market is losing steam fast with skyrocketing mortgage rates driving affordability to the lowest level since the 1980s. And mm-hmm. you ready? The same thing we always do. Mm-hmm. Demand without affordability is not demand. God damn, you're so yeah. good when you're in. Yeah. Just, thank you. Yeah. Oh. So good when I'm liquored up. Yeah, liquored up. <laughs> <laughs> we, we knew we had to bring the thunder this yeah. week. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we came, we came with liquor. Uh, the Federal Reserve has sought to curb inflation, which has thrown cold water on the U.S. real estate boom, which, despite the irony of all the people who were the naysayers early, that was the first area that was hit and clearly going to be hit the hardest, I think, over time. Mm-hmm. While prices are falling on a month-over-month basis, and this is a quote you should expect to see all over the interwebs, while prices are falling on a month-over-month uh, month month basis, they're still significantly higher than a year earlier when the buying frenzy was going strong, values were up 12.1% from a year earlier in August. So mm. this is a pivotal statement that I think is being manipulated the shit out of, and I want to clarify. Right. You're going to hear real estate agents say, just because there's month-over-month losses in value, that doesn't mean the year-over-year home values are going to go down. Right. That is very short-sighted yeah, exactly. and very deceptive. And, and one of the classic ways that... I think an uneducated real estate agent will approach this. Or is now is always the best time to buy. Now. Or a very manipulative one that can show you how he can manipulate or she can manipulate the data. Those don't last long. I mean, there, there's generally really, really good realtors who understand the business, who are trying to be what I would, I would legitimately say are fiduciaries who care about their clients. At the end of the day, and a lot of realtors ha- hate this stance from me, but I mean, you tell me, you, you've been in the business long enough too. My stance on realtors is this. You're not a salesperson, despite the fact that you are transacting a sale. Right. You are not selling the home. The home sells itself to the client when they walk in, they like it, they don't like it. You should never have to convince somebody to buy it. And that, those are usually people who have regrets, right? Right. That being said, your job is to facilitate and coordinate a transaction and legal documents right. through contract negotiation. But, yeah. My point about that was that this is just another way that we've, sh- we've talked about on the show how you can always manipulate data to, you know, prove your point. Oh, always. Yeah. And that, that's, it's disingenuous in my mind to say that, you know, at this point in time, guys, now is the right time to buy. Now is the best. They always say that, you know, over time, real estate values will go up. Well, I could easily carve out a window of time where that wouldn't be accurate. So let me, let me help you out. Yeah. Let's say you bought a home in 1997. Yeah. 10 years later. 2007, you're selling that home. Yeah, exactly. You're probably still up value, but there was a lot of volatility in between. Now, let's rephrase that time period. Right. Let's say you bought the home in 2003. Mm -hmm. 
And now you're selling in 2007. In 2003, they told you now's the time to buy. Now is always the best time to buy. Now is better than tomorrow. I bet you don't feel that way when you bought in 2003. Right, exactly. And therein lies the, the perspective. If you're buying for the long term and you're not necessarily, and you're buying for utility, now might be the right time for you to buy. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking to maximize your potential and try to buy more property and get a good deal, mm-hmm. now ain't the right time, kids. Right. This ain't it. This ain't it. Not right now. Reassess every, we say every three months, but you can probably bank on probably the next six to nine months. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think you buy in some major markets unless you see a ten percent drop off in value from where you know where we were at. Yeah. Now. You'll definitely hear it here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, that'll be a gumdrops and lollipops episode. Yeah, I can't that'll wait like, for that episode. We'll be popping bottles. Oh. It'll be it'll be lovely. Yeah. So I, and maybe maybe I'll get a compliment in the in the uh, review <laughs> you, section. You, you, you've got plenty of compliments. Yeah, I haven't gotten one goddamn. <laughs> Come on, compliment. man, stop, stop it. it. It's all about you. So say it's so sultry. Say it's so, so nice. Say it's so transparent. Boy, why so can't clear. it be a guy? Why can't a guy say that about me? That was a guy's voice. It, oh, okay. That was, that was very. That uh, was horrible. Uh, that's horrible. All right. <laughs> You're reading something. Go ahead, yeah, read it. I got something for you. So for 30 year fixed rate mortgages, as of today, they're actually 6.66 percent. Six six six. <laughs> the mark yeah. of the devil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We knew it. Yeah, don't buy right I now. I thought it was higher. I, I hope, was... hope we didn't rate lock today. Didn't it peak out at like 6.8? It was 6.7 last week when we were talking. It actually came down just a little bit. We know how these things go. It's going to start trending back up again. But so what that means is on a $500,000 loan, the average monthly mortgage is $1,000 more per month than this time last year. Yeah. yeah. So this, that that goes right into what we always talk about in regards to affordability. Um, since January of 2022, the median monthly mortgage payment is up $800 a month. Mm. Dude, that, that, I mean, that breaks people. That, that prices you right out of the market. So current rates are costing buyers $100,000 in buying power. We've talked about this before, but in case we got any new listeners, they need to know too. Did we get any new listeners? I don't know, but hopefully. I'm not seeing those reviews pick up the way they should though. I know. People are listening, just not leaving reviews. It's okay. Talking to you. We still like you guys. You stop driving the car, pull over, leave a review, then drive on. Yeah, let us know you did that too. <laughs> All right. So continuing on the same rhetoric of of now this subtle balance between rates and home values. Clearly, they're 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 impacting one another in in a way that I don't think a lot of people expected. Prices are off their peaks in ninety seven of one hundred of the one hundred largest U.S. home markets. Mm-hmm but they're still roughly 40% higher than they were in 2019 before the pandemic. 40%? 40%. And that's, that's where I think the word crash is thrown around too nebulously. Mm-hmm. If we lost 40% in home prices, we would still be at 2019 levels. Yeah, exactly. You would only, you would only lose about two years of gains. Right, so we have to take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a massive grain of salt. So everybody who's so resistant on, oh, home prices won't go down, supply and demand. We are no longer in a an environment where I can safely say that supply is the issue. Mm-hmm. I, I really do think that demand is the issue because affordability is really, really starting to kind of stretch out. And these prices are pulling affordability in directions that people just were not prepared to go. Right. Is that the human behavioral economics element too, where, where it takes adjustment. Mm-hmm. If you were looking at homes and you didn't pull the trigger a year and a half ago, the homes you have to look at now are distinctly different. Oh yeah, than the homes you could look at then. Even if you couldn't win them, those are still homes you said to yourself, "I can qualify for this right now." Right. Can I win one? 
And that that was, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. That was a whole other conversation. So people weren't winning them, and now you can win one, mm-hmm. but it's not the same thing at all. No, no, and you're gonna have to go in and do a lot of work. So that quote I read, by the way, by uh, CNBC, also in in the, in the notes, but it's from data reporting agencies that we we like to reference a lot. Black Knight and Black Knight being one. Yeah, CoreLogic. CoreLogic also released a home price report this last week, saying that home prices in August were still 13.5 percent higher than August 2021. Around, and this is where I'll point out some interesting things. So. This says 13.5% higher. The previous article I read was 12.1% from a year earlier. Mm-hmm. And th- this is an important thing. So I think a lot of people will look at data and say that these numbers are absolutely dead on accurate. And I'll tell you that there's a lot of discrepancy and in interpretation in these things. So you will get major data aggregators reporting slightly different numbers. Oh, okay. So it's not uncommon for Black Knight to say something, but Redfin to say another. Right, but it's more important to look at the trends. It's more important to look at the trends. It's more important to look at what what's effectively happening in in the market as real time as you can get it. Mm-hmm. But there is no clear cut answer, and that's why you'll see so much debate from real estate professionals or economists online. Everybody's pointing to a different source, and it might be slightly off. In theory, we should all agree on the trends, but unfortunately, people spend a lot of time, disproportionate amounts of time, arguing over the actual data, which I would say is. Mm, not so good. So what's the cumulative effect of all these things? Mm. Mortgage applications plummet 14%. Plummet is the actual quote from the CNBC article. As higher interest rates and Hurricane Ian crush demand. Yeah. So I, I mean, mean, it just makes you feel like people are actually paying attention to the data now. They are. And I think that everybody's cognizant of this. As much as it, it pains me to say that that hurt things like Hurricane Ian, which were a huge unfortunate set of circumstances and prayers and thoughts are out to all those families that were impacted. Right. And, and we have, you know, friends and employees that are out there and, and, and I feel for a lot of what I've seen, it's been unbelievably tragic. That is not on the news as much, anywhere near as much as things like the economy right now. Right. It's a taking a back seat to it. Mm-hmm. There's some interesting numbers from this article. If, there's, if you're going to read one article that we publish and you want a lot of data real quickly, this is the one that we, that you, we push out that you want to read. Total mortgage application volume fell 14.2% last week compared to the previous week, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association Seasonally Adjusted Index. That's one week. 14.2% in one week. Whoa. Next one is even more mind-blowing. Refinance volume. So keep in mind that if you're a mortgage lender and you operate, typically speaking, about 75 to 80% of your volume is refinance volume. Right. 20, <laughs> excuse me, 20 to 25% of your volume is purchase volume. So refinance volume, which is most, uh, mostly sensitive to weekly interest rate moves, dropped 18% for the week. Almost 20% one week and was 86% lower than the same time, same week one year ago. Wow. That's telling. And that also uh, points to um, how few adjustable rate mortgages people have now on their primaries, right? Yeah. There's not, there's not a need to do this. So, right. I mean, I'm rounding up, but 90% less volume in refinances. And that is 75 to 80% of most mortgage companies' business. Right. And think about it. Like, I know uh, um, I've been with my mom. Um, this past week, and her next door neighbor is uh, a broker, and he was telling me how his business is completely shut down, right? So, how many people are have jobs in this market that now aren't making any money, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. And then, so if you're working for like a big box broker, mm-hmm. think Loan Depot, think Freedom Mortgage, think these larger companies, yeah, you're getting paid as a salesperson on volume, not necessarily on commission. So. 
the uninitiated, they'll probably make about 2% ish commission on the dollars versus a significantly larger amount of commission on, on something you know, else. So if you're working like on your own and you're a mortgage broker, you're going to get paid a commission for doing the deal. And that those commissions are a lot higher. Yeah. So, and then when you're in shops, like, like there's large volume shops, you have to hit certain tiers, a certain number of loans to get higher commission levels. Mm-hmm. So it, it's certainly a lot different. And if the volume's not coming in, question for a lot of these salespeople that are in these broker shops that are usually high volume, high stress, but then they have, you know, leads provided them for free is do they go out on their own independently mm-hmm. and do they make money doing less volume transactions, but getting paid more on each, each one because they have less of a commission split. Right. So, and, and, and you know, this is a sad thing for me because I've seen this play out obviously through the great recession, me by being a broker, my father being a broker, my, bro- my brother being a broker. I mean, there's a lot of people in the business. I, right. love, I love and appreciate this business, whether you're on the multifamily commercial real estate side or you're on the single family side, it's a tough time. I thought it would be more than this. So I was actually really curious right now. I Googled it. How many mortgage brokers are there in the U.S.? It says 23,125. Well, I think we're a little jaded because in Southern California, like everybody's in real estate. <laughs> yeah, everyone's. I mean, everybody's in real estate. But I think across the country, there's a lot less. And there's people also, you know, we've got to keep in mind that there's people working under brokers that don't have their broker's license. Yeah, that are agents and, and things of that nature. Plus, I, I think data aggregating on this kind of stuff is very difficult because a lot of brokers aren't actually practicing either. True. So I'm, I'm, I'm technically a licensed broker, but I'm certainly not frequently practicing. And I don't, I don't know how anybody would, would classify like my pro bono work and stuff like that. So I, I don't know how you would, and not everybody, and a lot of people do it from their five to nine, not their nine to five, you know? Yeah. So I don't really know where that winds up. Uh, and then just to finish off this, this particular article, mortgage applications to purchase. So keep in mind, almost 86%, almost 90% refinance volume down. That's 80%, 85, 80, 75% to 80% of, of these shops. Volume, the other... 20, 25% of, the, of their volume is purchases. They fell 13% for the week and were 37% lower year over year. Trends are all going down. Trends are all going down, massively down. You're talking almost 90%, almost 40% uh, in each category. So if you lose 90% of your biggest piece of volume, yeah, that's a huge chunk. And then your whatever remains at 20 to 25%, you're losing 40% of that. Mm-hmm. You can see how if you're a large volume lender there is no way to continue to propel without cutting human capital yeah. so when we talk about layoffs in these sectors it's because these are the this is their top line income coming in that's how they make money they also make money on the secondary market by selling some of these things but as interest rates continue to rise right if you make a loan for five percent today yeah and you sell it a month from now and interest rates are rising quickly like they have been in the last couple of months mm-hmm. let's say a a par or at market interest rate is five and a half or five and three quarter percent now even though you you saw you originated at five percent a month ago yeah that's now quote under market you have to sell that at an economic loss yeah. whereas if rates went gone down mm-hmm. now you have an above market you provide a higher yield to an investor you could sell that for one point zero one percent or one point two percent or whatever you know you can sell it for a quote premium so this has dramatic impacts on the business model for these lenders. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You sound like you need more liquor, my friend. No, not at all. But uh, so I posted this article on our show notes. I don't know if you got a chance to, to read it. The uh, U.S. job openings drop sharply. Labor market starting to loosen, according to Reuters. Yeah. This is under my my section, not yours. <laughs> oh, I thought I I was going to yeah. post the same thing. You, you did not I read, post this. I read, I read the same. I wow. read the same article. Did you just take credit for my shit like that. No, like, come on, literally. 
That's no, fucked up. No, this no, is no. literally I read, mine. I read, I, read, I, read the, I read the same article. I was going to post it. Maybe, but you didn't, uh, though. Yeah, you yeah. had it. Come on, maybe man. I maybe I thought I did. Maybe I posted it under yours. No, you did not post and it under mine. I think you're taking credit for my shit. Uh, that's not true. Uh, that, don't that do this. Absolutely. You don't ever post Apple News links. I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay? <laughs> don't do I that. I know this is mine. <laughs> what okay. Yeah. So go ahead. What is it? Oh, you want me to read my own quote now? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I will read my own quote. Read my quote. You're from Reuters. U.S. <laughs> Shut up. U.S. job openings drop sharply. Labor market starting to loosen. This, to me, made me feel so good. And the next day, there were strong labor stats that came out again. And I was like, shit. Yeah. But effectively, this is, so this is not unemployment, for the record, okay? Right. This is U.S. job openings. People who said they have opening positions for jobs. Right. Companies listing jobs online. or Yeah, right. have dropped. And, and I'll, I have the actual metrics here because I'm the actual one who found this article, not Saeed. Can you uh, go ahead and copy-paste that link I put in there? You did not put that. <laughs> I am copying and pasting my own link, not <laughs> Saeed's link. Right. Because Saeed is a liar. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I could have gone with Thunder Dumper, but I went with Powder Power Dumper. <laughs> I felt like Thunder Dumper was probably a little more of an accurate description based on some of your activity. The job he- openings fall 1.1 <laughs> million. <laughs> to 10.053 min in August. What is it? Million. Sorry. Million. Yeah, million. Yeah, I can't read even when the computer's right in front of my face. It's sad. But yeah, so job job openings are starting to come down. I mean, we talked about it before. Right now, there are two job openings for every unemployed person out there. So this really needs to really go the other way. We're far away from that. But I think that like housing. This, are you sober? You're, you're, you're like choppy right now. What's going no, on with no, you over no, there? No, come on, mister. I can't read million. It was, Trend, a, very, trends, it was a very interesting L. Trends I mean, are like, dropping. Trends are definitely dropping. This is like some like. Helvetica font or some shit. It's not. It's not me. It's the font. It's the font. Uh, don't don't cite a, a font. If it was, font if it was type Times like that, New Roman, flex. this wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, yeah. All right. So job openings dropped one point one million to ten point one million. See how this is spelled out here? It says million yeah, yeah. on the last day of August, lowest level since mid twenty twenty one. August decline was the largest since April twenty twenty. And I don't think. Do you include the the CEO survey that we talked about before the show? Yeah, that's what I that's what I put on there. So over fifty percent of CEOs say. They're considering cutting jobs over the next six months, and remote workers may be the first to go. So, and I don't want people to get this confused. This is from Market Watch. This is not the same one that we quoted several weeks ago about CEOs who were predicting a recessionary economy. Right. This is CEOs saying that they're considering job cuts in order to maintain profitability. Yeah, exactly. So, and you got to think they're going to have to, right? So, if if the Fed rate, uh, Fed funds rate continue to goes up. Right, then they cannot borrow money to now expand and Bro, grow. You are slurring or some shit. You're like your words are off right now. No, but you you want you want to refill that glass? No, you sure? They can't borrow money to continue to expand and grow. Therefore, they're not going to be as profitable. Therefore, jobs need to be cut in order for them to remain profitable. Hence, why over fifty percent of CEOs now are saying that they're considering cutting jobs over the next six months. And the scary part is. A lot of people have been fighting to keep their remote work positions, right? And it's this all stems off uh, Microsoft Research Group that uh, says that they recently warned that productivity paranoia among managers over the hybrid workforce. If I didn't work in the office, for those of you who listen to the show, you know I go into the office every day still. I like going in the office is my yeah. thing. Yeah. If I didn't, if I wasn't working in the office, I would probably be a little bit more concerned about whether I was expendable too. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, there's a, sadly there is there's always going to be office politics, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always going to be <laughs> office politics, 
And I mean, you just there, you you have a better sense of what's going on at the company when you're there. I personally miss going to the office myself. No, but you don't. Stop lying. No, no, I do. I miss the team. I, I love the team that we work with. Um, the camaraderie yeah, that fun. the camaraderie that we've built. But hold I on, will, let's pause for a second. I want you know what we have. A, we have. A, I have a bone to pick with you. Uh oh. You have you. There are a lot of bones I have to pick with you too. Okay, let's get into this shit. Okay. We'll pause right here, everybody. We're on Market Watch, 50% of CEOs. Remind us when we come back to this, okay? <laughs> yeah. So are we going to just over, like, skip over the fact that I went to lunch this week with a coworker because we work in the office and I caught you and half of our underwriting staff together at a lunch that I was not invited to at the restaurant by our office? Hold on, hold on. Fuck you very much, sir. Hold on. We knew you were coming. No, you did not know yes, you. Yes, so we did. Stop, we stop. did. We knew you, you were, were at a booth for four people and there were four of you. I was, come on, man. I was not included. <laughs> what are you doing? I wanted a Hawaiian ribeye without you. But the reason. Why? Here's the reason why. Let me tell you why. I paid for meals, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. You also, you also paid for my wife's And I paid for your meal, too. That's yeah. fucked up. Yeah. So you paid for you my meal, You didn't invite me and I bought yeah, your yeah, shit. Yeah, you did. But listen. That's not arrogant, people. That's just facts. Right, yeah. Yeah, those are facts. Yeah, exactly. But here's the reason why. So you have to pay for that for all the times you've lost in cornhole at the office. You, there's still $4 million Bro, you owe me. we haven't actually played yeah. cornhole since 1942. But, 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 what the hold fuck on. are you talking the about? The outstanding debt on that is $4 million. I think you forgot about that. <laughs> so we should probably <laughs> we should probably explain this. <laughs> so we, we, were, we would play cornhole from the, for a good period of time. We would go downstairs for like an hour or so a day. It was effectively our lunch. We would play cornhole because our, our office had like we did this whole remodel thing and there was all these games downstairs, you know, giant checkerboard, chess, ping pong tables and cornhole. Cornhole, right. And Saeed and I became essentially like, you know, regional champions. Honestly, we were good. We were good. Damn we, good. we were damn, damn good. Like the people you see on ESPN, I'm saying we were on par with them. It got bad. Yeah, it got real bad. It got addictive. We had, we were factoring the wind. We were, we were doing everything. Yeah, but it, I kept doubling up every time I lost. You know, I think I got the four million dollars. We started off like a dollar bet. Yeah, yeah. We started off like, okay, you're gonna buy me a salad from this, the store across the street. Yeah, it got bad. Yeah, and then it got so. bad. Chris ended up losing so much. He owes me four million dollars. I told my kids, "Hey, kids, I got you through <laughs> got college." You through college. <laughs> <laughs> I think I won that back at one point in time. We did. He played like a four million dollar. Like, yeah, game yeah. I've, I've lost four million and then I gained it back yeah, again. That's, that's, yeah. yeah, not real money, everybody. This is uh, not. No, I don't no, want to no, bring it arrogant. Yeah, it's, it's sarcastic just money because I'm jokes. poor. Yeah, monopoly money. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about, and Saeed keeps distracting. Uh, so the next article I had, which is uh, similar to the one we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but from Fox Business, CEOs warn tough recession coming, home sales lower and more. Tuesday's five things to know. And the reason why I posted this, it had a great quote. 91% of CEOs surveyed believe there will be a recession in the next 12 months. For those of you who remember prior episodes when that poll came up, it was around the 80%. So it's gone up about 70%. Oh, okay, that's what I wanted to know. Only one-third of those CEOs believe it will be a short and mild recession. Only a third. I want to, I want to know which CEOs those are. <laughs> not the one you want to work for. <laughs> yeah, not the one you want to. Exactly. They're not so, really in tune. They're just, you know, tacking on to everybody else. But, um, I mean, they're, we're going to say, when we look back at this time, the recession is going to be marked back down to January of 2022. That's what, that's what we've, we've been saying, and you can mark that. Uh, how there's some people are still saying that they're just now getting on board. I don't know, but maybe they're just not in tune. So I want to take a sidebar here. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about attitude in recessionary economies. Okay. So 
we talk a lot about these facts and we try to be as informative and non-biased as possible, right? Right. And I think people can misconstrue this information as negativity or they can misconstrue it as, there's almost a bias on some levels. That, but he, here's what I'll tell you. The last 14 years have been easy to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that everybody should be, but for those who got into business and did well, I read an article today from somebody who said, I'm a self-made entrepreneur. I've been in business for 13 years. And I thought, you've been the benefactor of one of the best economies ever. You could, If you were to pick up investing, you could have invested in anything and made money. What would have lost you money? I don't know, but I lost a lot of money. <laughs> I've made a studio. That <laughs> yeah, lost me a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Right, but, uh, yeah, and to your point, and, and, and to mine too, that, that's absolutely accurate. So, And I'm not saying that it was super easy, but it was definitely easier than recessionary economies, and recessionary economies are a normal part of this economic cycle. I say all this because when times are easy, you know, we, we look at people we think are leaders or gurus or people that tell us all the right things. That's an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. In tough times, in recessionary economies where we have to work and bear down and actually find a way, I don't care whether you're a real estate agent. I don't care whether you're in the mortgage industry. I don't care whether you're in the tech space. I don't care if you're a developer. Right. I don't care what you are. Now is where your leadership, your character, your perseverance your tenacity, all those things come out. Right. And there are some of you who will whine and bitch and complain and get down on yourself and you will not do well. Right. And there are some of you who will get ready to work, who will appreciate the gravity of the situation, who will understand that you're going to have to work harder than you did the last 10 years. Right. You will bear down and do the work. And those of you who do that, I can tell you unequivocally, you will not regret it. Every company I have, we've talked about some prior shows, was started during a recessionary economy. Yeah. If you can manage to persevere and survive and push through this, you will come out the other side of whatever this prolonged recession is mm-hmm. in a much stronger position. And let me tell you why. During recessionary economies, those who are not experts, who don't have the stomach for it, the tenacity, the skill set, the history, the passion, whatever it might be, they, they bow out of the businesses. Yeah. They're going to go someplace else. And those who persevere and make it through and master their craft, they can get customers in a bad economy. They can get a whole hell of a lot more customers in a good economy. Very true. There's less competition, and you're primed for when the market turns. Right. You can really study the nuances of, of the business or whatever it is you're working at. Exactly right? that. So. This is not necessarily an all bad scenario, but it really comes down to your perspective. It really comes down to your own personal gut check. A real leader, if you're if you're if you are at the top of a company, you should be collaborative right now. You should be talking to your peers now more than ever. I don't care if you hate your coworkers. You guys should be bearing down, planning, and not planning strategic plans for your business moving forward as much as you're planning strategic leadership mm-hmm. for your business moving forward. Right. How can you keep people motivated? Right, because as things continue to get harder and less profitable, right, those that are working under you are going to be looking up to you for guidance. With you, with you. With arrogant, you. arrogant people say under, okay? <laughs> yeah. Sultry you know, people you know, say you know, with. You know what I mean? With you, baby. Well, with you. You know, they're going to be looking at you for guidance in moments like that because they're, they're uncertain. There are a lot. I have friends 
You that, do? Yeah. Name I have, one. I have some friends. Name one. Not I'll Chris, Chris Navy. <laughs> I'm not your... Damn. Damn. So you're sitting in a room with me at 1126 yeah. on a Thursday night? You're my brother. But listen. So yeah. I love you too, Sugar maybe, Tits. Maybe. <laughs> you and your Thunder Dumper over there. Sugarfoot? You want to refill? <laughs> no, no, I'm good. You slurring. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're slurring. You couldn't read. Now you're diverting. <laughs> I can never read. That's not a problem. We have a re- reading rainbow on the soundboard. Of course I can't read. <laughs> we knew this going in. No, but I have I have friends that work at uh, some pretty big tech companies, right? And they, they've expressed to me how they are concerned and the people that they report to are not as communicative as they would like to- Communicative. Communicative to explain to people or to their team- about the job uncertainty, you know, they're they're not ex- exemplifying true leadership. So um, they're they're really worried, and they don't have any guidance. So well, tech help, the tech sector right now has just gotten smashed. I mean, it's it has been. They were the, it was the first thing. to get a hit, right? It, well, I really think that real estate was the first to get a hit, but it's a slower moving reporting cycle, right? And but yeah, the I would say real estate and tech have been probably the most aggressive so far, and, and I think the tech sector's got a whole revitalization we talked about a little bit last episode coming right you know certainly the 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 way we think about the tech environment is going to change a lot but a lot of these companies that have led the way on doing new things and just making tons and tons and tons of money are going to have to really bear down and figure out how they're going to how they're going to buy for talent and how they're going to grow and and how they're going to have cost saves cost saves and efficiencies are interesting yeah and meta and a lot of people are talking about hey if you're not if you're not applying for a new job, if you're not being more efficient, I mean, they've they've telegraphed the shit out of this, right? They yeah, said not if you, only if them, you Google can't too, be more right. effective, yeah, Google was like, if you can't be more effective, then you know you're not going to be here, right? So there's there's a whole lot of people who are in that space right now who are pressured up against that. But again, if you're in that company and someone said that to you, yeah, a leader will rise, right? And there are some people that will find a self defeatist attitude and they're not going to go anywhere, right? I hope anyone listening to the show is a leader. Mm-hmm. Simple yeah. as that. Simple as that. Or start, you know, preparing themselves for, for these moments. But it's so much about perspective. I, I don't want to get preachy because it's not like, a, we're not a motivational podcast. Right, right, right. But, but certainly, it, it's true. Your perspective really, really determines how you feel. Think about it this way. If you wake up in the morning, every single morning, and you tell yourself, like, fuck, yes, I want to go. Even if you don't necessarily want to go, it does change your perspective. Mm-hmm. And I used to, this is such a cheat code that I never really shared. When I get dressed in the morning and I put on a suit, yeah, I feel so much more ready from a professional perspective to take on the day. Like I, I feel like I'm preparing myself to go into the game. The same way I used to put on a uniform when I play basketball. Right. I don't know what it is. I don't think that you need to do that if you're working from home or something like that. But I do think you need to have your ritual of converting over to the work environment and getting your mind ready to do that. Right. And I think there's a lot of people who who kind of laissez-faire go into their day with no purpose. And if you go into your day with purpose, like for me, my morning shower is like my pivotal point. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the shower. I get dressed after that. Like it's all it's all intended to go to work afterward. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a dad, and you know things happen, and you know I have you know, have a wife, and you know obviously you know sometimes you're sick, and, but for the most part, that's my transition period. Right. I get all my stuff, and my family out of the way, and then I take a shower, and then I'm getting dressed, and then I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully I'm getting dressed in suits these days whenever they come in. <laughs> yeah, whenever they come in, they yeah, fit. They fit. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very similar. A quote that I've heard a long time ago that I like to live by is, 
I know eat, what I eat more. Yeah, eat more because I'm too skinny. I need to. I need to gain. Yeah, right? I was I'm, gonna, I'm say, gonna bulk. You're trying to bulk the top up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks, asshole. What? Uh, but uh, thanks, your asshole on the radio? Yeah, no, man. Come on, on the radio. Did you say radio yeah, again? Radio. Come on, yeah. man. Don't date yourself. I love the radio. <laughs> <laughs> but. I know what I want to get accomplished every single day. I know what kind of dad I want to be. I know what kind of uh, person I want to be in the workforce every day. And I like to think of it as, you know, never get too high, never get too low, right? No matter what happens, it shouldn't change how I, how I intend on, you know, getting after my day. You know, I know that I, at some point in the day, now this past week has been a little rough, but I know at some point in the day that I want to, I want to get a workout in. I know at some point, I know I want to spend quality time with my family. I know I want to put my well, phone. Sorry, pause. Mm-hmm. You know you want to get a workout in, huh? Yeah. You want to tell them what you told me before the show, you know. Before yeah, the show. I said it. this last week has been tough. I haven't gotten a workout in all week. Mm. Moment of silence besides workouts, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it's been. Good thing you got a natural power dumper. You know what I mean? I gotta walk. I gotta walk by the gym every single day. Like, <laughs> damn man, you spent a lot of money on this shit. <laughs> For the right, yeah. So he has a home gym, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full yeah. built out home gym. Yeah, and he's got nowhere to go but not the gym. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I haven't been home though, so. Yeah, that's true. I'll give you a break. So let's get into some pop culture, shall we? Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about AI replacing people, particularly in California, because of the new minimum wage for California fast food industry. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who do not recall, shame on you, but allow me to help yourself. California's new minimum wage in the state applies to people who are franchises and restaurants who have more than 100 locations. Mm-hmm. Right? 100? Yes. Yeah. So this is somewhat uh, challenging because if you're a small business owner and you have 30 locations in the state, mm-hmm. it doesn't apply to you. But if you're a small business owner and you own two McDonald's, fran- McDonald's franchises and there's several McDonald's all across the country, so clearly more than 100, it does apply to you. Right. The cumulative impact will be that the small business owner will have to compete with the higher wages that are offered by some of these larger uh, franchises and corporations. And we expect that AI will be the solution for a lot of these uh, larger companies because they can pay things like we talked about last episode, robot, half as much mm-hmm. to do the job. And some of these, like Chippy, we talked about. Yeah, yeah, Wingman. And Wingman, who who can make wings and chips and, and serve things up and season them. And take them out of the freezer and do everything. They cost half as much as a traditional full-time employee. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay-Z has invested $16.5 million into a robotic Pizza company, according to Hypebeast. I'd imagine it can do all the same things. Well, allow me to illustrate. Jay-Z invests $16.5 million into Stellar Pizza, which is a mobile restaurant that uses robots to prepare pizzas in less than five minutes. Wow. Mobile restaurant powered by robo- robots prepares pizza in five minutes. Mm-hmm. How do you go wrong? Yeah, I want that. Yeah, just... Yeah. Can you want these in my house? Like, we've talked about this. Me, friends have talked about hey, this. Hey, Chippy, make me a pizza, goddammit. <laughs> I only know how to make chips. Yeah. <laughs> but think about it. Pizza is one of those things that you can't really, how can you mess that up? Your pizza is not going to be any less than a four on a scale of one to ten, but no greater than a seven. Right? What? You can't mess that up. How are you going to mess up a pizza? You can mess up a pizza, man. How can you mess up a pizza? Yo, if you don't have your crust, like, crispy and good, like, you have, like, the soft, like, Let me tell you what yeah, about the other day. Crust. Let me tell you what, I, I know you haven't tried this because you would have told me if you tried this. What? I was going uh, going through Target the other day. I saw that Quest had a, a pizza. A pizza? Yeah, frozen pizza. Oh, I've seen those. You know what? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was a four. But guess what? It was still a pizza. It didn't tear your stomach up, though. A lot of that Quest stuff tears my stomach up. No, it, it didn't. It nasty. It didn't. Like, the Quest cookies on, like, the bars love them. 
Yeah. But no, I don't I don't do the I don't do the bars anymore. But the the pizza didn't tear my stomach up, but it was I, it was pretty filling, man. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. Pizza can't can't go wrong with that. My wife cooks a lot these days, so I don't, I don't get to I don't yeah. get to make anything that's frozen like that. Yeah, wife, we we've been stocking up on ground beef, ground chicken. Uh, just yeah. to mix, just to mix it up a little bit. Diet of champions, bro. Yeah, exactly. Ground beef, ground chicken, five ounces, hundred ounces, hundred grams. Of, so I usually uh, do, jasmine I usually rice. do five point five ounces, and I'll do eighty around eighty to ninety grams of white rice, mm-hmm. and then mix in a little bit of uh, squash. And throw on some mayonnaise and some <laughs> butter. None of that. None of that. That don't, sure. that doesn't make the bowl. I feel like it does. Though. No, it doesn't. I feel like it does. <laughs> mayonnaise, ill, bro. I hate mayonnaise. It's like the worst <laughs> condiment. <laughs> Look, man, it's good. It's good for you, bro. No, it's not good. It's, for it's you. all fat. Everything. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not a mayonnaise fan in the house. Although my yeah. wife tried to buy some the other day, she's like, "It's made with olive oil. It's healthy." I'm like, "It's not." No, it's, it's definitely. It's, it's, it's definitely not. not. It's not she'll she'll buy it for like kids' sandwiches from time to time. It's like an avocado mayo or something. I'm like. You're just trying to game the system. This is it's still mayonnaise. You know what my wife won't do? She won't make sandwiches for her son. Well, why? She makes him like meatballs and rice. Like maybe he doesn't be, maybe she knows what he likes and what he doesn't like. I'm just saying, like, you know, most kids like will get a sandwich and be happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I still want those. Well, he's also only he's three, right? Bro, he's so Asian, my son. He's so like, he, Asian. He doesn't know it. Like, <laughs> he he's, doesn't so, know he's, it like, he's like the Asian kid at school who's like who's like, Oh, your mom made you a sandwich with chips? What's that? Yeah, but like he doesn't know. He doesn't uh, know what he doesn't know. Uh, yeah, like, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. He's gonna grow up and be like, "Dang, this kid, this kid, he had fucking Korean barbecue like short rib, eating like a king with rice for dinner." Wow. And I'm like, "This is not normal for a kid, honey." And she's like, "So we talking about? He loves it." I'm like, "I know he loves it. It's like you know, yeah. How it's already developed. That yeah, time. it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not gonna be good. No, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Well, I'm gonna close the laptop." All right. On this particular, do we go with fifty-one minutes? It's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. It's like not bad. You're thinking out loud. <laughs> like, I was like, damn, damn, we already got. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't say we were done with the show. Oh, I didn't. You putting the drink down? You didn't even finish the uh, glass. I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna finish it. Come on, man. Come on, man. She. What's going on? So I've been uh, kind of busy for social media lately i haven't been on it as much as i normally would and posting as much as, as, as i normally can and for those of you who, who follow my account a lot of my posting on a daily basis is going through um, my content manager so i will provide the content and the quote and then they'll post it based on what I, the instructions that i've given them right mm-hmm. so for me it, it's easy to post content but i've been so so busy and i've taken a bit of a, a pause from the economy Okay. Because there's so much going on right now and so much rhetoric that I think it's getting confusing for everybody. How so? I think, well, I mean, look, if you, um, I'll use some examples I heard today. If, if you follow like Dave Ramsey, uh-huh. he's still in this, you know, things are going to change a little bit. It's going to get tougher. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the market's going to, it's going to be always good. Now's the time to buy now. He's still saying buy? Here's my affiliate link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, same thing. Patrick Bet David is still like, the world's going to end, man. Yeah. The world is ending. I'll give you the data. The yeah, world yeah. is ending. It says we're dying yeah. in this data. <laughs> and it's, it's so polar and it's so hard to listen to. And it's so hard to. Even myself in you, you know, we, we look at we look at data a lot. We look at the market, we look at real time data. We see the transactions on a daily basis. It's hard to filter out the noise. Yeah. 
Can you imagine just being a consumer who's, if you're like a nurse or like you're an attorney or you're a doctor or you're, you know, you work at a restaurant or something I mean, and this shit's coming at you from all different angles. Like, well, how do you know what to believe? I think, I think it's easier for people to tune out than you think. I mean, we were talking about not what do, too. What not, do you mean by tune out? Like, just ignore the, the economy in, in total, or like what? You, remember, we we said on this podcast, people refuse to open up their credit card bills. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't want to. Uh, for the record, I don't want to look at my own this month either. So I, I feel your pain, everybody. So if, if, if people can ignore that, you can only imagine if, like, okay, if everything is out there right now is looking like it's bad, then. I don't even want to know. I'm going to stay put. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing now, and I'll revisit this situation, reassess down the road. Yeah, maybe. maybe. But I, I think I think I think it's it it's easy it's easier for some people than, than others. But um, hopefully, there aren't that many people out there that's stuck in a predicament where they're forced into positions that they don't want to be in. Right. That's the part that I always think about: are the people that like are on the verge of potentially losing their jobs. People that are in desperate need of buying a home, they're relocating, right? Um, those are the people that I really feel for. Well, you know, all those things are kind of a necessary evil as part of life. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, if I were to have to sell my house and relocate right now, like the the amount of house that I could buy right now, I mean, I got a two point, was it two point seven one percent rate on my home? Probably. Yeah, it's hard to let go. It's gonna be tough to let that go. Well, you said. I mean, a lot of people are now opting right to just rent it out. Yeah, I would, I would probably rent my property out, cash flow on that, and then I would probably rent until the time came that. But look, I, when it comes to all all the stuff and the economy, everything else that we're talking about, it, it's difficult for for even us to look at this and really not get kind of disgusted with some of the quotes. And typically speaking, this is the time of year where things are somewhat mellow. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of where I'm going with all this, is that we have the midterms coming up in November, right? That's a pivotal point election-wise. And I want to remind everybody, with that coming up, you're going to see a lot of spin from politics. Mm-hmm. I saw uh, Biden on television talking about how much money he saved everybody in the economy and how mm-hmm. he's handled the debt. And I've seen Republicans talk about how the Democrats have completely torched the debt. Uh, and we're now at a high, the highest level we've ever been at, $31 trillion, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it's hard to deny that it doesn't matter who you believe in, what policy, or you know, what, what politics you believe in. The numbers are what they are. Right. We have mismanaged this thing. Saved, not saved, whatever. doesn't matter. Right. You could argue that, that some of that has to do with Fed interest rate increases, but something's got to give. Our politics don't align with our reality. Right. And now more than ever, I literally in the car ride here to the studio, I was listening to Don Lennon. Lemon? Don Lemon. From CNN? Yeah, CNN. Guy doesn't age. Lemon. Lemon. Lemon? Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to him go back and forth with people. And he's, he can kind of get a little bit too liberal sometimes, I think, for me. But talking about how Biden had mentioned that uh, Putin was going to use, could use nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the war is going so terrible for him. Right. I thought to myself, like, how polarizing of a time we are in. Yeah. Like, you got a war going on where Russia is literally trying to take back land. I never thought in my lifetime I'd see another country be annexed. Yeah. And yet here we are. Then you have, you have these 
tragedies going on all across the globe. What's going on in Iran right now is an uprising. And that's a, that's a very interesting political climate in and of itself without this extra mm-hmm. challenge. Uh, and I'll be honest, as, as somebody who's 44% Iranian, I never realized, I knew that the Islamic regime had come in and changed things. I didn't realize what Iran was like prior to their arrival. And some of the photos I've seen online have been somewhat eye-opening. Right. Because I didn't, I didn't realize how free the country was before all this. Right, change. At what, at what like maybe um, your dad experienced growing up. Right, I don't know that he did because my dad never, never spoke about any of that, mm-hmm. and he never, he never mentioned any of it. And I probably should, I probably should ask him. Yeah, if he remembers growing up in in what climate it is, is, it, is it like these photos or is it like these photos? Oh yeah, I mean, I speak, I've spoken to my parents about it and aunts and uncles, and I look back at some of the photos of how Afghanistan was just you know back in the 70s right and um i mean girls are out there and people aren't wearing burqas or hijabs right they're it's, it's a much more free country and girls are even out there wearing skirts you know yeah, yeah. yeah so completely different than what it is it's, now. it's weird to see that that in some ways we almost culturally went backwards and mm-hmm. not, i mean we is in the royal we society but right it's weird to see that and it's also at the same time it, it's weird to understand how how a country could go that route. Yeah. How, can you imagine that happened in the U.S.? All the women here have to wear this. Yeah. I don't even know how you would, how you would pitch that. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it wouldn't happen under a democratic society, but, um, I mean, just repression, man. So, and on top of that, you've got, God, you hear about the Thailand? No. What happened there? An uh, ex-police officer walked into a children's school Young children's school. Oh, no, no, no. 36 no. kids dead. No, no, no. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, you have all these tragedies going on in the world. And I think to myself, like, the sad part is, is these things happen during good times. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to happen more during tough times. Yeah. Because now the world economies are challenged. Right. We, and we just kind of talked about this too, right? As far as in the workforce how do how do your leaders in uh, at your company or the people you work with act during times like this and it's also going to impact your family members your friends you know and if you see people like that that need a helping hand or someone to talk to cuz it's going to get tight and maybe people aren't as comfortable with sharing some of the information that they're dealing with on the back end but if they're starting to act differently you'll probably you can probably easily easily figure out why mm. And financial stress is not one of those things people openly tell you about. So if they have financial stress and they're generally not going to tell you that you, you kind of have to be somewhat investigative and figure things out on your own and come to your own rational conclusions that there's more going on with someone's life. Yeah. I've seen a lot of that recently. Uh, I probably had four or five conversations with people recently that I can tell they're stressed and my, my suspicion is that it's it's economically related. There's a lot of financial challenges there. Right. People don't come out and say that. That's the one problem with, I think, my social media that, I, that I've struggled with for a long time is because of what I'm trying to do and educate people financial literacy, it's not like just gen- generic advice. Mm-hmm. So many people reach out into direct messages and say so many wonderful things, but they don't share it with comments on posts because I think a lot of people objectively don't want to talk about money where everybody else can see it. Right. Right. I mean, you can, I mean, you can understand why not everyone's in that type of position. And, you know, some of it is, you know, they're, they're ashamed, but they were, they, they maybe shouldn't, they definitely shouldn't because we've talked about financial literacy is not something that's taught in our education system, which I think is, um, 
a complete mishandling of it, right? I mean, I know kids now in their curriculum now, they've already started to uh, add in coding. We can add in coding. Why can't we add in some financial literacy? You know, there's some, so there are some places that are doing that. I do want to make a quick pivot. We've been on, we've been on this uh, show for a little bit longer than normal, but I want to do something a little different. Okay. I make it a routine habit of anybody who sends me anything on social media that's positive about the show to send it to you. Yes, you do. And I generally don't share it with the show. Oh, yeah, because it is a direct message. So maybe they want to keep it private. These but... are direct messages. So I, I will say first names only, but this is from Donnie about the commercial real estate episode. And, and I sent it to you. As a commercial developer, I can honestly say your podcast, quote, the, the big commercial real estate episode is by far the only podcast I've listened to about commercial real estate where I never once had to stop and say, uh, say that this is fucking stupid. <laughs> so much good info for anyone looking to make the leap from single family. So much free game. Donnie, I can't tell you, man, how much I think we both appreciated that. That was exactly why we made the episode was so people who were largely single family educated could make that leap or right. at least get familiar with or comfortable with the vernacular to start making that leap. Yeah, exactly. So that comment may, meant a tremendous amount to me as a non-arrogant one. And the sultry asshole over there <laughs> was clearly like, yeah, whatever. No, no, no. I was ecstatic over it. And I, I told Chris, like, every time he sends me these, because he shared it with me, it never in our wildest dreams, I think we can both agree that we'd be sitting here, people actually appreciating something like that. Um, so it was it's pretty cool. So this one from uh, another person that listens to the show pretty regularly. I like this one a lot. This was cute. Uh, keep going. My husband and I really appreciate your info and love listening to the pod on the way to work. We are two millennial teachers waiting for our moment to buy a house. Oh, I love that. God damn, I can't wait to help you guys buy a house. I too. love that. Yeah, that'd be awesome if we could actually help them too. And that, that's that's exactly the reason I think why we both got into this show was was not only the financial literacy, but to help people make that transition because a lot of people are afraid to make that leap. Mm-hmm. And it's not as scary as as it sounds. And it's hard. It's hard to find a trusted source, right? That you you really feel like you can uh, trust what they say and and their view and outlook on something as big as the economy. So for that, for her or him to come out and say something like that is that's pretty awesome. So another guy in in the DMs forwarded to you talking about the CRE episode, which I was I think you and I we we did we did it somewhat as a gap filler because we we knew that was an episode we could talk about easily. Yeah. But at the same time, we were coming back. I came back from Hawaii. We had to catch up with some backlogged episodes. So it kind of filled some time. Mm-hmm. I really didn't think it resonate. So this person who does some business with our bank, who I've never actually spoken to, said, I really enjoyed hearing directly from the perspective of the underwriter in this. Mm-hmm. Like, I finally get to hear directly from the mysterious underwriter who my deals get submitted to, if that makes sense. Thanks for posting. And ironically, this is a guy whose deals you have worked on. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah. That's pretty funny. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that episode and I, there was so much more that we could have dove into. So if there's something specifically that people want to hear about, uh, DM Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take notes for you. I'm your yeah, secretary yeah, now. They, they, DM Chris. I, I'm, I'm literally considering getting on social media. You should, I'm telling you, you should just. Specifically for this reason, just to connect with people that listen to the show. You should literally just take over the well, not take over. My wife will continue to post on the higher standard podcast, like yeah, you are, are the the Instagram handle, yeah. But you could literally just interact with people on that. You could literally engage people. She doesn't respond to the comments and all that stuff, so it really needs the engagement. I'm telling you, you could do that. Right, right. 
Might do that too. Here's another one. Uh, LMAO, laughing my ass off for those who are uninitiated. Mm. Loved the CRE episode. It's cool to know the inner workings of the process. You know? I, lo- I mean, this, these things never get old. They never get, never get old. I hate this one because it's positive about you. <laughs> so this is from my man, Tyler. We talked about him a little oh, briefly I get last time. I get my yeah. boy. Tyler and I are best friends. He doesn't yeah. know yet. I'm going to read it again from the last episode of this episode because right. uh, this is a different version. Okay. Great episode. I would appreciate if Saeed wasn't on it as much as you were. Pass along <laughs> my thanks to him for ruining it with that stupid, sultry voice. Lies. Lies. Right, that might not have been his. Yeah, idea. lies. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, for each one of you who sent us the comments, I appreciate it. There's, there's tons more. And it's, Saeed and I were talking before the show, and I wanted to stop and pause before we end the show say thank you. I don't think either one of us really ever expected to start getting messages like this and to have people who really interact and engage. And I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't think we ever thought about the incoming feedback. No, we never, we never did. And um, Chris and I are actively working on continuing to enhance the show as much as we can and constantly looking for ways where we feel like we can provide even a better service. Even though it took us an hour to screw in a light earlier today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I can't wait for everyone to see the studio. But, I mean, more things to come and hopefully, you know, everyone likes it. Yeah. Uh, and we certainly appreciate every single one of you for tuning in. Can't thank everybody enough. Now, God damn it, leave a five-star review. Please. We need honest. More. Honest five-star review. Yeah. I would like to see 150 on, on Apple uh, Podcasts. No pressure. Where are we at now? What? 125? 125. No, no one's keeping count, though. I'm keeping count. Yeah. Of every single damn one. <laughs> so we're at 125. We've been stalled there for a little while. I'm going to go ahead and wait for you to leave that review. Please. We're, we're poor. <laughs> Help me. I'm lonely. <laughs> Anything else to say before we ch- chime off for the day? Ch- 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 chime, chime off for the off day? Do I have to drink a lot? What is this? Port? <laughs> we, drink, we drink a lot. Yeah, we drink a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So next time, everybody. Because we don't say we'll see you next week. Yeah. Although I think of this episode might be next week. Don't do, don't do this, man. All right. All right. Come drop some lollipops. We are out. Well, me and the power dumper. <laughs> the power dumper. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.